With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, it's uh, June 13th. We decided to give an extra day, some space for the first day of the MLB draft. The most exciting thing in all professional sports. Wouldn't you agree, Doug? Oh my God, it is the event of the century every year. (laughs) Nobody can wait for the MLB draft. It's basically the first six months of every calendar year are just an anticipation of these days uh, where nobody cares and you're not going to see these players for several years, if ever. Uh, And of course, the Giants um, last year didn't have a first round draft pick because they, they punted it to get... Uh, Johnny Queda, or excuse me, to get Jeff Samarja, which I think we can all agree. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure if it was worth it or not, <laughs> but uh, you know the draft is a is a is as I said, extremely exciting. But really, it's not, especially for the casual fan. We know this. We know this. And I think Doug, you have very strong opinions about about the draft and following it. And I will let you say them in just a moment. But basically, if you're a bandwagon fan, the worst sport to be a bandwagon fan of, I think, is baseball, which isn't to say it's bad. I'm just saying it's such a long season. that And, and the playoffs themselves are sort of confusing, too, because the best team wins, it feels like, 50% of the time. So there's kind of, it feels like more of a random crapshoot element in there. And, and uh, there's so many games. Uh, but so what I'm getting at is it feels like it's a good thing to be a just a, a, a casual to devoted fan in, in baseball because the draft does mean something. If your team is the Giants or they've been really bad for a long time, sometimes the draft is all you have, man. That's the only time of the year you get some excitement. But then on top of that, you have four other levels you have basically other teams in your team system you can watch, and sometimes those teams do well. It's just the luck of us Giants fans that every aspect of the Giants organization is cat- catastrophically terrible this year. There is nothing good at all on the team whatsoever. And just to remind you that the that the Giants are basically, you know, they're trying to win for your money. That's the whole point. And just to Keep in mind, when the Giants have nothing else going on good for their performance, uh, they're still going to try to get your money some other way. And, Doug, I don't know if you saw this, but the Giants uh, tried to sell Hunter Strickland's game-used jersey from the Memorial Day game uh, and advertised it as part of the fight with Bryce Harper. And it was up for an auction. MLB has has auctions for game-used items and I guess 50% of those proceeds go to the player himself and, you know, the rest go to the team. And the Giants and other teams have been very successful with selling uh, game-used items like right after the game uh, or shortly thereafter. But just the idea that Hunter Strickland was going to profit off of being an asshole 
which he already is in some respect, but that he was going to, that the team was full-throatedly behind it, and it took MLB kind of interceding and going, this is like, even for us, Major League Baseball, a tacky, classless, disgusting organization who treats people like uh, assets and chattel, we even think this is going a bit too far. Or mainly the outcry was so strong. But uh, just to bring it back to things, they're trying to take your money. Doug, you're not buying the draft. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not buying the draft. Way to bring it back to that. Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, first off, all sports drafts are incredibly boring and stupid and bureaucratic labor manipulation. And that's literally all they are. And three hours of highlights aren't going to change that. Um, Second, all drafts are just nothing. Uh, to me, <laughs> um, they're, it's just like it's like watching a bunch of businessmen bid on stocks. I can't imagine anything more boring than spending three hours watching businessmen bid on stocks. And then we top it off. The baseball draft doesn't even have the instant gratification of football or basketball's drafts, where you know, football or basketball, you draft a guy number one, he could be an all-star best, you know, top 10 player in the league in the next year. He could transform your franchise immediately. In baseball, that is not the case. In baseball, you know, you draft a guy and then you wait for three years and then maybe he's going to be okay the first year and then maybe he'll be an all-star the next year. It's just, it's getting hyped about something that doesn't really merit any hype to me and that's what I think every draft is. I don't think baseball's draft has the level of hype that the the other ones do, but at the same time, it's still not that interesting to me. Also, apologies to hockey hockey fans, but I literally know nothing about hockey. <laughs> well, their draft is is they're so similar to the NBA. There's they have more rounds than the NBA does, obviously, and their farm systems do tend to matter a little bit more than I would say. They're probably. Yeah, they're right after MLB because they actually have a farm system um, for these hockey players in sort of the traditional baseball sense. Yeah, and football, it's just like, hey, you haven't been concussed yet. <laughs> you have the weight and the reach. Get in there. It's, uh, it's, it feels like an infantry unit, uh, NFL. It's like, all right, we got some warm bodies to throw on the battlefield. That's it. Um, and basketball, it's sort of – basketball's feels very top heavy basically like you're going to you know you're going to basically be a first round pick and then that's it <laughs> like if you're if you're slated to be good you're good and, and it feels like the NBA has very few surprises and major league baseball it's basically like we're going to make we're going to make loads and loads of picks i can't even remember it's 30 picks right i think it's down to 30 it used to be 50 maybe it's somewhere in that range we're we're going to pick we're going to pick around i think it's 40 isn't okay. it I thought it used to be 50, but I mean, like, yeah, I think it, that sounds about right. We're going to pick 30, 40 guys, and we don't know. <laughs> so yeah. We, we suspect the guys we're going to pick early have a better chance than the guys who are going to pick late. That, that's <laughs> really the rationale. Because <laughs> yep. uh, we're going to try to pick the ones we think are the best first. Um, and the Giants, traditionally, in our lifetimes, I would say most of the people listening to this podcast, and I do mean like 95%, except for this post-Barry Bonds surge of farm talent, I don't feel like we 
think of the Giants as being mm, savvy on the cutting edge, finding the stuff in the farm system. It doesn't, that's at least not how I feel in my lifetime, my experience with the Giants that, and certainly we could look at what's happening and say, this still could be an aberration. This, this run through Matt came through Joe panic as being like this aberration, uh, a blip on the radar, but I could be wrong about that, but it's, it's essentially, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? I still think it's a better value uh, to not be a, to, to be a casual to intense fan of baseball because it has these little tangents or, you know, little offshoots of the regular season. The Giants are a terrible team, the major league team. And the minor league teams are bad too. But <laughs> you can look at, at some of their other aspects and go maybe. And at least for, for two minutes yesterday when the Giants made their first pick, when they drafted Helio Ramos with their the number 19 pick, I swear, Doug, for about 27 seconds, I was like, maybe. It could be kind of exciting. <laughs> There's something there. And then it went away. And those 27 seconds, since they were consecutive seconds, are definitely, it's definitely one of the high points of the season for me with the Giants. <laughs> I mean, he, he could be good. You know, he's, we're not going to find out till at least 2021, but it's, it's not impossible. Right. He's not even 18 yet. So it's, it's going to be a while if at all. And more likely it's going to be a Lucius Fox situation where they trade him down the line for, you know, like a middle reliever or something. Um, I mean, but even last year, I think we were kind of excited talking about the draft to Roger with Roger last year. But really, do you remember any of the draft last year? Um, I, you know, as soon as people, I I was actually looking at Grant's article on, uh, on the main SB nation site. And I was like, didn't the Giants have a first-round pick last year? Why isn't he listed? And it took me a while to remember that they did not have a first-round pick. Right. Their first <laughs> pick was the 59th overall pick, uh, 10 away from being nice. Uh, it was the second round. It was Brian Reynolds out of Vanderbilt. Uh, and then their second pick uh, was Heath Quinn out of Samford. And really, all I did was go and look at the search. I'm not even going to name the top five. It's not even worth it. But I was just like, do we care? And I know Brian Reynolds' name. I think both these guys have popped up on the podcast this year already multiple times. So I went ahead and I took a look because it, this is what we're talking about. Like, we're, we may never see these guys or it's going to be a very long time. What's the point of being excited? But I do remember that both of these guys and a lot of last year's draft, actually, there was some excitement to it. Like there's something there, maybe. And I would say Heath Quinn's doing very well for himself, and Brian Reynolds is too. I feel like one of them was hurt. Maybe it was Heath Quinn this year. Um, yeah, it was, it was not. Brian Reynolds has been around all year. Yeah, Brian Reynolds has been around all year, and he. But Heath Quinn last year in the short season, he had nine home runs in 54 games at Salem Kaiser, and this year he's got a. He's I think he's homered every uh, every game last week, and he had an incredible month back. And he's he has seven home runs and ninety four at bats and only twenty that's twenty four games, um, so you know they're both in a ball so they're on the same team they're both in San Jose, and Reynolds is seven seventy three OPS not all that great a fourteen uh, fourteen walks to fifty one strikeouts uh, still a three forty seven on base percentage um, basically who cares but at the same time it's like all right well the Giants they drafted their higher picks are actually doing somewhat okay in very low. Uh, circumstances 
But to pivot into our bigger thing, you know, Austin Slater is supposed to be a, a guy and he's come up and he had a really big game on Sunday. Um, and, and that was encouraging because he kind of played for two games and then he got benched and it, he kind of felt like, is this going to be the bochy merry ground of like, he, oh, the young guy didn't do well, so he's got to go back down <laughs> after one game. And maybe this means they'll give him a chance. Uh, but he had four RBI, which, uh, as Grant pointed out in the recap, was the highest season total of the Giants since Brandon Belt had that huge game in San Diego uh, with the Grand Slam and the home run, uh, and the other, and the two run home run, and, uh, or three run home run, and, so, or two run home run. The Giants have not hit a three run home run yet. Uh, and basically all the doubles they hit on Sunday against the Twins to secure, to maintain their 400 winning percentage, by the way. That's what that game did. <laughs> Proving that 100% of the time the Giants win 40% of their games. Um, so they're, they're set up on a big, big poster <laughs> at that stadium as we speak. <laughs> so essentially, to, to tie it back into this longer conversation, yes, the draft is boring. Uh, the Giants need to do better in it, though, for them to be interesting as a team for the rest of our lives. Right? <laughs> It, yeah, it all comes back to the truism that the most important things in life are often also the most boring. Right. Yeah, I mean, essentially, the Giants have to brush their teeth and floss. <laughs> and, and you know, I would say, you know, it, given the dearth of pitching talent in the system, when I saw that they drafted an offensive player and an outfielder, no less, who hilariously, in the Giants fashion, is a center fielder but projected to land in a corner spot. Um, which is actually a pretty common draft adjustment. Um, I just still thought it was funny for the Giants. But when they drafted him first round, I'm like, you know what? If they had drafted a pitcher in the first round, I actually wouldn't have been upset this time. (laughs) Only because with the Giants, I'm like, okay, they eschew all power guys. They don't know how to develop power. They have a spotty track record with bats, period. Uh, But pitching, I feel like they have a pretty good handle on about what to look for. And they're... track record is probably if not above average it's at least average for getting these guys to the major leagues and sometimes sooner rather than later so there was that part of me i'm like well who's more likely to be on the team two or three years from now which maybe the giants don't need but looking at the current team i would say they'll probably need someone from this draft class in two to three years (laughs) so we'll see how the rest of the draft goes and when it's over you can expect next week we will have roger munter on he'll recap the draft for us and he will talk about the Giants execrable I want to use that word uh, execrable season but basically the Giants minor league system is a dung heap and uh, hey and, let's, yeah. let's, let's not take away credit Richmond got themselves out of the basement <laughs> double A Richmond no longer in last place in their <laughs> league so uh, that there's that uh, we're going to talk about the players real quick, or go down the line real quick, um, because I'm sure you want to hear about Recount the Week. But before <laughs> that, I do want to mention something, Doug. I don't know if you caught this as well. <laughs> Did you see this? Did I don't know why I keep, intro- I keep introing everything like that. It's just begging for that particular introduction. But apparently, uh, apparently Johnny Cueto's comments about the Giants being possibly being racist was misconstrued by Andrew Baggerly. Who would have thought that? (laughs) (laughs) It's weird because he has such a great reputation with the Giants clubhouse. That's right. If he's not literally digging through the trash, he is certainly (laughs) uh, illustrating it or being creative with 
uh, quotes. And in this case, he says he's very happy with the Giants, etc., etc. I would say that, to go back to my original point, the Giants are doing so badly right now that they could be misunderstood in this way, that someone could draw that comparison. But if Cueto is willing to go on the record or whatever to clarify his comments in such a way that was not... <laughs> he's not saying I what I mean is... He was saying, that's not what I meant. Those are two different things. Uh, I would still say if your team... If your organization is 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 bleeding that much and someone's sell, smelling blood in the water, uh, I think you still have some problems. But it is going to be interesting to see what Andrew Baggerly's uh, attachment to the team is going to be, <laughs> for sure. But beyond that, I, I don't think it really matters as it relates to Johnny Cueto. I think I would like to see him back on the team next year. But at the same time, there's no chance he's going to be back on the team next year. At the same time, if he's back on the yeah. team next year, that's a bad sign. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's a bit, Yeah, let's think of – here's all the ways it's a bad sign. They couldn't trade him. That's the first most obvious one. Even if the Giants don't want to trade him, you know – uh, then that leads to the next point, which is he opts in. <laughs> so, if he opts in, in theory, it's because he's gotten hurt. That's the most logical reason why he would choose to opt in. And it would be like a, a shoulder injury or Tommy John surgery, which I think he's already had elbow problems in his career anyway, if not actually Tommy John. Um, could be wrong about that. Right? Is there any, is, are there any other ways this is, it's just bad? I mean, it's all bad, but... I mean, he could just be really bad this year for non-injury reasons, and then that's why he doesn't opt out. Right. right. So that, that's another way that it could be bad. Right. Oh, well, he had no tear in his elbow in May of 2015 uh, for, uh, for during an MRI. So he has – but he still has elbow injuries. But, yes, there's there's very few reasons. The only good way it sta- he stays in – he stays on the team and, and it's not an injury as if he like goes to the Giants and says, I like it here and I want to stay. Don't trade me. But I don't see that happening. I don't see a player doing that in, the, in his case. Like announcing his intention to opt in like or not opt out, I guess would be the case, on July 1st or something like that. I don't see that happening. No. He's also not pitching very well this year. Um, exactly. Which is a very which here's the here's the thing, folks. The Giants, if even if they wanted to blow this up, or even if they wanted to make some trades, you know, maybe a little bit of pain, they can't. Nobody wants what they're offering. They don't have anything good to sell. <laughs> uh, which gets me to my next point, Doug. I have a I have a thought, and I I think when I lay it all out, you'll disagree with me, but. You're an independent person with your own thoughts. You're also much smarter than me, and I wanted to get your opinion on this. Okay. Is this Giants is the Bobby Evans era more alike than unlike the situations recently experienced by the Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta Braves? For reference, the lauded Twins GM Terry Ryan stepped down in September 2007, giving way to I believe his at the time assistant GM Bill Smith. Bill Smith then went on to go 88 and 75, 87 and 76, where they made the playoffs and lost in the first round. Then 94 and 68, where they lost in the first round. Then 63 and 99, and then he was fired after that season. 
Hall of Fame GM John Sherholt stepped down in 2007, giving way to Frank Wren, who I believe was the assistant GM at the time. And the Braves' record is in those seasons, 72 and 90, which kind of makes me think John Sherholtz was like, next season's going to suck. I don't want to get, get caught holding the bag. They went 72 and 90, 86 and 76, which is third place, 91 and 71. We all knew who they lost to in that year. That was 2010. Um, uh, what was I going to say? It, yeah. In 2011, they went 89 and 73, and that was when they were eliminated on the final day of the season at the same time as the Red Sox. In the right, that's game. when their, their amazing choke job was completely overshadowed by the Red Sox slightly more amazing choke job. That's right. And then 94 and 60, or 94 and 68, where they lost in the wild card game, and I think that was the, the ridiculous infield fly rule game. Yeah, that was against Cardinals, and then ninety six and sixty six, where the where uh, oh I lost, I forgot his name, where uh, Craig Kimball was just sitting in the bullpen for no for no obvious reason, and then seventy nine and eighty three, and then Wren was fired in twenty fourteen, and Sherlock has since gone back and blah blah blah. Uh, before I rephrase the question, a couple of things. That I also am noting in these two things. Let's start with the Frank Wren era of the Braves. We can't deny that Freddie Gonzalez had a role in all the failure I laid out. <laughs> uh, there and Brooks Conrad in one in one particular instance as well. <laughs> uh, because the Gi- the Braves were beating the Giants with with a converted pitcher Rick Ankeel. So <laughs> so there is something to that. Uh, and actually, uh, that game was um, was Bobby Cox still. Freddie Gonzalez. The weirdness with Freddie Cox didn't, or Freddie Gonzalez didn't kick in until 2011. Anyway, uh, but there is the one thing in common between Frank Wren and Bill Smith was that they were sort of guys who jumped right out to signing younger players to long term contracts. I can't remember multiple ones with Bill Smith. I can just remember I think he was responsible for the Joe Maurer extension. And I believe Frank Wren was Freddie Freeman, which is seen as maybe not Freddie Freeman, but um, the shortstop. Crap. Oh. Totally blanking on his name. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton Simmons, he gave that big deal to after like three or four good months. And both of those guys were sort of the sabermetric, they were more sabermetric bent, but they were also on the line of like, we need, to, we need our Evan Longoria contract. Sort of thing. So those are the two common. That's the commonality I recall between those two. I could be have. I might have it off slightly, but that feels right. And we certainly have no way of looking all this information up to be totally accurate. So just go with it. Um, so my good to restate my main question is: the Bobby Evans era shaping up to be more alike than unlike those two situations. Well, you know, you know what I've actually thought about, and uh, what has worried me is that it's not going to be like those two situations where both of those teams, after a several-year window of being bad, are now good again. My worry is that it's going to be like the Ruben Amaro Phillies. Who? Well, won- did he take over when they were he took at over the, the downslope? He took over the day after they won the World Series. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you're much smarter than me. <laughs> I guess in both of those cases, I was going off of esteemed GMs who had been with the teams for a very long time. 
let the guy who'd been working under them for a long time then take over. And both of them have since come back. But we're not done yet. You're totally right. The Ruben Amaro, Ruben Amaro had been with the Phillies for years and years. Yeah. He'd been an assistant GM for like 10 years at that point. And uh, <laughs> he was there for three years, won a World Series, stepped down, and oh boy. Oh boy. Well, I think that is the most, this is why you're the, this is why you, I said you're much smarter than me. Yes, this is the most accurate thing because what was one of the hallmarks of the Ruben Amaro era, which that was keeping that baby going. Yeah, which was, you know, congrats to the Phillies on signing superstar Ryan Howard to a five-year contract extension. <laughs> uh, when was, when was uh, Jimmy Rollins' last big contract? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, holding on to Rollins and Utley and extending Ryan Howard for sure. And basically, you know, making a big deal to get Hunter Pence, you know, those types of things, um, those types of deals. Uh, man, that is really good. That is the most accurate assessment <laughs> of, the, of the situation. Um, let's see. World Series was 08 and... Oh, and Jim, I mean, Jimmy Rollins signed his uh, signed a three-year, thirty-three million deal with a vesting option after the twenty eleven season, right before the Phillies just went to garbage town. <laughs> I don't see the Giants have having. I'm trying to think. Was uh, Brandon Belt was maybe an Evans as GM uh, move? I, I apologize, everyone out there. There is sort of a blurring effect that goes on. After for me for a couple of years as I've gotten older, so, so when things happen, I'm not entirely sure. Let's see the salary. We know Bobby Evans was 2015, and his salary. He signed his contract extension. Uh, it looked like. Where is his salary? Oh man. Um, let's see. Giant sign. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, that was five-year contract signed. Where is the date on this article? Not what I was looking for. <laughs> uh, this is all riveting radio that I hope to God I remember to cut out, but now I probably won't. Brandon, Brandon <laughs> Belt signed his his five-year extension on in April of 2016. So at the very okay, beginning. So, of last so year. that's his Ryan Howard. <laughs> well, why why not? I'm Brandon just Crawford is his Ryan Howard. Well, Brandon Crawford, well, yeah, that would have been his first big move, would be that six-year contract extension. Why wouldn't it be? So he's doing the, you know, at the same time, if Sabian's still GM, there's a very good chance he would have done one or both of those deals anyway. Yeah. And we can't say that they wouldn't want to do those deals. And also at the time when they signed the deal, I mean, they're, these guys aren't weren't already over 30 when they signed them. So there are some extenuating circumstances. But uh, I would say that is a much bigger warning sign. And then you have to look at who the Giants, you know, keeping Madison Bumgarner for two more years is not going to cost the Giants a lot of money. Their payroll commitments, you know, Matt Cain was Brian Sabian's deal. Yeah. Just, just to put that out there. <laughs> and so was Barry Zito. And so was Aaron Rowan. <laughs> so, uh I would say that is a much better comparison. And so now that is what we need to be hoping does not happen. 
Yeah, because the Phillies, in case you haven't noticed this year, are still really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do have some interesting talent, it's true. Uh, but yes, absolutely. That, that thing sort of cratered and never quite got better. So that was a depressing thought. Let's look at our play. Let's look at who slept on the Giants right now. <laughs> uh, Buster Posey is having an outstanding season. So the Buster Posey death watch is... is you know what I should have done? We should have had grades or conditions for this sucker. Yeah, well, well, you know what I think is happening here is that because we have a Buster Posey death watch, he's doing well, so he makes us look dumb. Because we don't have a death watch on literally any other member of the Giants, <laughs> they're all sucking. This is really That's our fault for not doing our part to make the team good. But now we can't because we're aware of the situation, which means that the jinx doesn't work anymore. That's right. Uh, Buster Posey, to me, I'm going to try to give some observations watching the players. And, of course, I'm not a straw hat. I'm not anybody, but certainly have watched baseball for a long time. Buster Posey, at times, has seemed to have an old man swing going, which is not a bat speed thing. He just looks like a, a um, like an old school baseball swatter sometimes. Uh, he still looks like Buster Posey in his plate approach for most of the time. But somewhat famously, I would say that walk-off home run he hit, well, was that a month ago now? Jeez. <laughs> um, you know, when he was tired afterward. But just the way he kind of swings the bat, there's, you know, one of the cool things about Buster Posey was that he has kind of like a good, nice, smooth, right-handed swing. And it just, it seems like it's a little bit messier and like he's grouchy. That's all I'm getting at. I'm not trying to say it's breaking down. I'm just saying like he has kind of like a he's he's throwing a bunch of old newspapers at the ball. <laughs> like he's, he's wondering why cranky. the ball is on his lawn. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's one thing I've noticed that's different about him this year, or at least seems that way. Uh, I would say when the team is bad, you're also cranky too. But uh, there's that. It'll be interesting to see what happens when his pal Madison Bumgarner comes back. Uh, if if he if his mood brightens up and and Hunter Pence, who is supposed to be his good friend, you know Hunter Pence is playing like uh, an oft injured thirty four year old outfielder who plays hard and gets hurt a lot. <laughs> I said oft injured and gets gets hurt a lot intentionally. Good, good um, yes, he basically has a four to one strikeout to walk ratio, uh, which is sustainable if your skills are gone. And uh, he's slugging 337. So I think we can safely say, Hunter Pence, you're done. And we can't wait to enjoy a whole other season with you. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to make of Denard Span, uh, except that Denard Span is playing essentially how he played last year. Yeah, he was, for, for a little while after he came back off the DL, he looked really good. And now he doesn't really look very good anymore. He looks okay. He looks like the guy you start and you're like, there are bigger problems. I'll think about this later. But then you never do because there are just more problems. He has zero stolen bases. Um, I would say that's a huge problem. And last year, his on-base percentage was sort of fluctuating between 325 and 335. And it's down to 306 this year. So he's not very good. Uh, we already spoke a little bit about Austin Slater and... You know, he had a big game the other day. Hopefully it keeps it up. I think it stinks for a player when they have a big game and they have to have an off day. Or if you're a young player and you have a big game and then Bo Bochi benches you because he doesn't want a veteran feeling bad. 
um, which we've seen happen many times before. So hopefully Slater picks it up. It's only a two-game series against the Royals. Um, I think not being an established player helps you with the interleague. It doesn't really matter who you're playing at this point. You're just I'm just playing baseball, just playing pitchers uh, at this point. Uh, I would still like to see Mac Williamson get another shot, but you know it doesn't look like it's in the cards for him. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I don't very rough shot in Sacramento last week, so yeah. that's been a problem. Uh, I don't. Austin Slater seems to me to be sort of like generic baseball, computer-generated baseball player with in terms of his batting stance and, and sort of how he plays, his skill set. He doesn't really jump out to me as having any strong characteristics one way or the other, and, and maybe that's kind of a good thing for now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but hopefully that settles down the left-field situation for a while. Man, I'm using the baseball language. <laughs> uh, Eduardo Nunez has played extraordinarily well the last two weeks. I guess I should qualify as saying extraordinarily well for him the last two weeks. But in terms of the Giants players, his OPS, he's now third in OPS at 739. His on-base percentage is somehow at 325, but his batting average is at 300. Um, He has four home runs, which, Doug, don't you think that's a little surprising? Yeah, I wouldn't expect that much power from him, but, you know, he's... He's not. He's a good player. He should be a good player, and he finally has been for a little while. We said this all along. Right. We both. He is playing. He seems like, and he's also thirty. Uh, so I would say that the Giants would be insane to keep him. <laughs> if they keep him, it will be malpractice, which probably means they're going to try to trade him. He's going to get hurt <laughs> within the next five weeks. Uh, but he is the only Giants player who has played himself into trading shape, I think. Um, and then Brandon Crawford, I think, has been pretty shaky. I think he's had some streaks of bad defensive situations, too, which I actually give him a, a pass for to a large degree because he actually gets to balls that a lot of players couldn't get to, so it's kind of hard to judge him. Uh, as being too bad, but Brandon Crawford's basically having a 25-year-old Brandon Crawford type of uh, offensive season. His on base percentage has not been above 300, I don't think, in, uh, except like the first week or two of the season, if even then. Um, I, I don't know what to make of him. I don't think he's a number five hitter. I know batting order is not supposed to matter, but essentially I I like that there are players who can be closer to the pitcher to potentially see no pitches to hit <laughs> or they might just get lucky and see more fastballs, whatever it is. But I, I would say that the Giants sort of still have the problem of they have a lot of good, what I would deem second place, sixth place, seventh and eighth place hitters, but none like table setters or or uh, or power RBI guy type hitters. And that all just boils down to they don't have a lot of on base. They don't have a lot of on base. They don't have a lot of slugging. Joe Panic, I almost forgot to mention him. Joe Panic, it seems like, has had a worse season than Brandon Crawford at the plate. But right now he's slugging higher. Or I'm sorry, he, he's got a higher OPS because he gets on base a little bit more. Uh, so I'm not sure what to make of anything other than uh, the the Giants are bad. I have no other analysis. Visually, Brandon Crawford looks like that 25-year-old hitter right now. He looks like he's missing a lot of fastballs that he was 
driving last year or hitting to the opposite field in years past. And I don't, it seems like all the hitters are looking for pitches instead of reacting to pitches. And I could be wrong about that, but it just seems like there is a fixed mindset or like they're stuck in a certain gear. And I don't know that that portends to them turning it around. Like the organizational idea of like, well, our guys have just got to play, play better. They may not be able to. <laughs> Brandon Crawford's 30. I'm looking at this number right now, and I'm actually surprised by that, that he's actually 30. Maybe he should have the death watch. <laughs> Brandon Crawford death watch. Still very That's handsome, right. also dying. <laughs> yes. Um, I will say this. The Giants, a week or two ago, had both the worst slugging percentage and the worst on-base percentage of any team in baseball. I'm proud to report that they are now up to 28th in on-base percentage. Who's beneath them? So, good news, everyone. Who's beneath them? Uh, the Padres and the Royals. And the Royals coming to town starting today. <laughs> Pitching-wise, we already talked about Cueto. Uh, Samarja has been one of the best pitchers in the National League this year. And I think we talked about this, on a, if not last week, the week before. Uh, you and I are of the opinion that Jeff Samarja is a good pitcher, but he's going to have the streaks where he's really bad. Yeah, so this is a good streak, and at some point we will we will see the inverse of that, and it will be bad. I'm there are two. I want to talk about the two other pitchers in a minute, but I do want to suggest that the Matt Kane run could be over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt Kane has not. Uh, Matt Kane kind of is a lot like uh, Tim Lincecum at the beginning of 2015, in that it was going real well for him for a while. And you knew those days were numbered, but you were still enjoying it while you could. Now, Gorky's Hernandez boned him a bit on Sunday, but you know what? If you can't get out of problems, that is part of being a major league pitcher. We didn't even talk about Gorky's Hernandez, who is essentially an everyday player, for reasons beyond comprehension. But uh, (laughs) Gorky's Hernandez makes the team worse for sure, and he's making Matt Kane, who is bad, worse, for sure. But I guess the other two guys I want to talk about real quick, Ty Block and Matt Moore. Ty Block is the perfect back end of a rotation starter. Yes, please. And he throws strikes and he works quickly. My God. <laughs> uh, we, t- we sung his praises last week, so we don't need to. But Matt Moore, it, it was it's another week of, oh, this guy may, may not be a major league pitcher. <laughs> Another Which week, is hard. Right. Another week of, oh, he gave up four runs. That's not that bad, I guess. Right. But just laboring through four or five innings and, you know, and getting lucky to only give up four runs. Uh, you know, this is, this is, this is the, the numbers bear out. It's worse than Russ Ortiz. Which, by the way, I love Russ Ortiz. <laughs> but Russ Ortiz could walk six guys in a game and still give up three or four runs. If Matt Moore walks six runs in a game, which is pretty consistent, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to take with Matt Moore because his curveball is not amazing. His fastball is interesting, but I'm going to throw this out at you, Doug. What if he did things a little less harder? Like, what if he took a little bit off of his fastball? Well, what if he didn't throw his try to throw his curveball quite as sharply? I, I think he took a little bit off his fastball at the beginning of the year, and it went very badly. 
Because at the beginning of the year, his velocity was significantly down, like a couple miles an hour on every Yeah, but he's at 94, 90. He's going 94, 93, 94. What what happens if he's 91 or 92? Well, I think you're making the assumption that if he does that, then he'll have better command or control. And I'm not sure that's true. I feel like... That's what I'm I'm saying. I I put it out there. I, you know, I don't know how to fix Matt Moore, and uh, well, the Giants don't either. By the way, no, we didn't even talk about the big trade. Sam Dyson, the Giants traded for Sam Dyson, <laughs> who was the Rangers' closer last year, and uh, Sam Dyson throws ninety-five and has an incredible sinker or movement. Yeah, sinker, and uh, he was terrible in his first appearance. But as Grant pointed out, in a lost season. Maybe the Giants can fix him and get something out of him. And if they do wind up trading um, Mark Melanson, theoretically you have a closer in the next year or two because he's still under team control, which is interesting. And I don't know, between Brian Morris and Derek Law and Corey Guerin and and uh, and Sam Dyson, and, you know, and screw Hunter Strickland, that guy shouldn't even be on the team. Do you and not a team that's only going to win forty percent of its games for maybe the next two years, but definitely this year? Well, you know, what's the point? Why have Mark Melanson if you don't have to keep him? If you don't need him, is yeah. basically it. I don't. I, I I don't know. I mean, I feel like if they can get rid of Mark Melanson, it's a good idea. He was my uh, pick earlier for the guy the Giants should trade to get the rebuild going, but. We'll see. They made a big marketing pitch around him. He shot the only off-brand commercial the Giants had this year. Because uh, if you if you think about all the Giants commercials this year, it's mostly like players sitting in front of a blank canvas or screen or something. And then there was the Mark Melanson one at the beginning of the year, which was him closing things. Him, like, hmm. closing doors and jars on people and stuff. So they they made a big, big marketing push for Mark Melanson. And they should trade him anyway, and they might not. Yeah, that's the baller move. <laughs> that's the cold business jerky move. That is that is the Hunter Strickland game-worn brawl jersey move. <laughs> is to go, we invested a lot of money in this guy, and now he's going to help us get better in some other way. And I guess if you paired him with Eduardo Nunez, there's got to be a team out there that would need a closer and a middle infielder and then you're talking you're probably going to get a good return although I can't immediately think of a team that needs a middle infielder I think the Nationals are actually pretty well set but it is intriguing the idea that he goes back to the Nationals and literally every other team in baseball has a better farm system than the Giants so theoretically they should be able to get someone good for both or one of those guys so uh there are no easy moves, Giants fans out here, because, like I said, none of the players are playing well. We did identify a couple that maybe it could happen. The the organization's unwillingness to radically reinvent, which admittedly, again, is hampered by the same thing of there's not a lot they can do to change things or move things. And I don't think... I'm not advocating for trading Buster Posey or Madison Bumgarner. If they were to get really wild and create, they couldn't trade Madison Bumgarner if they wanted to. That's a trade they'd have to make next year because of it, there's so much doubt. And it definitely, now that he's had a shoulder injury, you can't ever be sure, right? So 
it hurt his trade value for what it is. They were never going to trade him anyway. But if something random happened and all 25 members of the Giants ownership group like took peyote at the same time <laughs> and they're like, yeah, man, let's do it. You know, it would be very it would not be you would not get as quite the bounty as you would if you did it last year. So in any case, that's where the Giants are at, which is, again, as you've been watching, <laughs> it's not a good situation to be in. At the same time, welcome back, Aaron Hill. <laughs> welcome back, Aaron Hill. We definitely have a lot to say about you. <laughs> All right. Uh, we have uh, we ask every week for your Twitter questions on our main Twitter account and on our, our separate personal inter- uh, Twitter accounts. We ask you about... You can ask us about the Giants. You can ask us about anything that you want. You can ask us about um, how much smarter I think Doug is than, than myself, and I could answer that. <laughs> Doug, did anyone ask that question this week? Uh, no, though we did We did have some other questions, though. So that's oh, okay. fine. Let's hear them. Uh, okay. first, first one comes from uh, Nick Rogers at Rick Nodgers, who asked, Okay. Who would be a better out-of-retirement left fielder for the Giants, Barry Bonds or Ricky Henderson? Um, I, I'm inclined to say Barry. First off, Barry's a little younger. Second, Barry's been cycling a lot, so I think he could play some some pretty solid defense still for a 50-year-old, you know? I think he He's could never a fantastic defender in his prime. Yeah, and I think that's coming back with all that cycling and cardio. No, I'm saying he was never that fantastic a defender in his prime. I think he was because he won gold gloves and I don't know any better. Uh, I would say I would say Barry Bonds only because I've seen the Ricky Henderson 44 year old come back. Right. And now at 64, whatever he is, 58, something like that. I don't want to see it. <laughs> I have a story about that. I have a friend who's an A's fan, Joe, my buddy Joe, who's been a guest on this podcast last year. We when I first moved down to L.A., he came down here. Uh, to go to a Dodgers game, the Dodgers and the A's, Dodgers and Padres were playing. And Ricky Henderson was on the Padres. And he said, th- literally the only reason why I came to this game was because I wanted to see Ricky Henderson play. Ricky Henderson was his favorite baseball player. Ricky Henderson did not get in the game. Ricky Henderson was playing for the Dodgers because he was mad at Jim Tracy. That's what it was. <laughs> he was. And he was very mad at Jim Tracy. And I'm bringing this up, Giants fans, because there's never a time to not be mad at Jim Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my honest opinion. He was not Don Mattingly where he was so bad he'd help the Giants. He just looked like a human toothache. That is my Jim Tracy. The aura he gave off was just, I'm a toothache. Looking at me, I'm boring. Everything I touch is boring. And all those times when he managed the Dodgers and then the Rockies, they were always boring. It was just boring. Anyway. <laughs> Barry Bonds. Bring him back anyway. Puts butts in the seats. He, he should play in left field for when the statue goes up. And you know what? Reset that Hall of Fame eligibility, too. Give him another 10 minutes on the ballot. That's right. (laughs) You need to reset that because we need to get some deaths in there on the BBWAA. (laughs) Okay, next question comes from Rob Hayner. Uh, Do you guys ever spit into the urinal before you go? If yes, where do you learn that from? I see it all the time at games. Spit into the urinal urinal before using it. Uh, I have. I'm sure I have. I mean, I don't... But every time? No, like, I don't do it regularly. I've done it before when I've had to spit already, but there, you do see a lot of guys who just spit in there, like, routinely. Like, that's, that's the way you start the urinal. If you don't do that, the pee stays there forever. 
I I don't know what it is because I there's there are definitely guys out there who spit way more than I would fathom is necessary. Yeah. Uh, so I I can't. And I think I, in my less secure days, I would be like, is it my problem? Are we not <laughs> supposed to be keeping the taste in our mouth for as long as people are? I mean, I spit when I'm around smoke because I don't I don't like smoke. It makes me cough a lot. I don't like having my mouth and all that stuff doing that. But I try to spit around the smokers. I also try to fart in the direction of smokers <laughs> because if they're giving out gases, why can't I in their faces? But in any, other, other than that, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't do it every time I go to a urinal. I just I think it's weird. Also, I'm a Murphy, and instinctively I go, if I'm going to do something that involves splashing, I'm going to get it on myself. <laughs> and I don't want urinal spit splashing back onto me. That is my, that's my fear there. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good answer, Ryan. <laughs> you should be proud of yourself. Next question comes from Steve Svensson at Svensson19. Who asks, just me, apparently, Doug, what's your cutoff date for determining the Giants are sellers? He says his is July 1st, and then he answers for you, Brian, and says April 2nd. <laughs> so, Brian, of first, tw- uh, 2014. <laughs> 2014. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, my- no, I said the Giants are going to be good this year, so I didn't have that thought in mind. <laughs> Right, so it would be after the first game of the season. When was the first game of the season? Because they lost the first game of the season, and it was like, here we go again. It was like, blow it up. So that might have been April 2nd. Um, For me, it was, I think, the beginning of June. I'm I'm past the Giants should be sellers. Like, that's just done at this point. Of course, they should be sellers. Uh, Yeah. But I think think it was about the beginning of June, because the... There's an old, there's like a baseball saying the Giants used to say, you used to hear from them a while ago that was like, use the first two months to assess where you are, the next two months to figure out, to try to get better, and the two months after that, you play the guys or something like that. I'm like, well, we spent two months figuring out who we are. We're here now. Sell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you were correct. It was April 6th. <laughs> that, was the, that was the loss. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, if you go back, I, I was looking at they have two in they have two against the Royals tonight and tomorrow. Then they have they play four in Colorado. Jesus, <laughs> play four in Colorado, then four in Atlanta, which is a new stadium. I think the Giants, wherever they play, whenever they play Atlanta, it's kind of a heartbreak city situation where they come back. I seem to remember Adonis Garcia two years ago when Ryan Vogelsong came in as the emergency closer, taking him deep. And of course, we we all know who Adonis Garcia is to this day. He's the star of the league. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, last year that Atlanta was uh, like where Jeff Samarja broke for two months. He's been right. going great, yeah, and then he went to right. Atlanta and inexplicably was terrible and just was terrible. Malik Smith. Yeah, yes. Malik Smith. Uh, okay, so I would say that if something weird happened, I mean, yes, your June 1st is the most correct answer. That is exactly, you could see it right there. On June 1st, the Giants record was 22 and 33. So that to me is is. Fairly revelatory. Now, it's funny Then they went into Philadelphia. And so I think, Doug, if I may put myself in the Giants mindset, 
22 and 33. Okay, we're going to be sellers. Then they win the next game 10 to nothing. <laughs> then they're like, hold on a second. <laughs> and then they lose the next two games. And now they're like, oh, I don't know. And then they win another one. They won, They went three and four this past week. Uh, and, you know, they're winning 40% of their games. That's it. Anyway, to get back to my point, in the next 10 games, let's say they go seven and three. What does that put them at? 33 and 42. So even if they do extremely well, because that's assuming that they win both games against Kansas City, and then they win, they like take three out of four in one of those series uh, of those series. A, a decent Giants team, you could imagine, you could forecast that and think that's not crazy. So seven and three, that would be a great road trip. That would be so much better than they played on the road all year. And even if they were to do that. They would still be 33 and 42. <laughs> so then you have to ask yourself, what are they playing for? What is the point? 33 and 42, what is that going to get them? I mean, how? The, I think what I was, I was saying was get to 500 at the All-Star break, right? That will be the Mike Kruko mantra. But they're playing so badly, you can't even, you, there is no path to that. They they have to go on a ten game winning streak, and and even if they were to do that, they would still be under five hundred. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I'm not. Uh, it's not. Maybe that should be the measure of any rational person. If you go on a ten game, if you imagine your team going on a ten game losing streak, and then after doing so, you recognize that there's they would still be under five hundred, then you have to you have to kind of ask yourself like. Well, what am I imagining here? I'm imagining something that has no chance of happening. So it's the longest of long shots. And in the absurdity of baseball does not, you know, the Giants have had very good luck since 2009. And I think they should just be, feel good that they did and move on instead of trying to squeeze blood from a, was it blood from a turnip? Blood Blood from a stone? Blood from a stone, I think. Stop trying to squeeze wins from crap. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, next question. This is a very simple one from uh, Gregory at Dr. Beat Drums, who asked, will, uh, it says, well, Hunter Pence, but I, I assume it's, will Hunter Pence or Denard's fans still be starters in 2018? Yeah, I think they're both still going to be starters on the Giants in 2018. I think Span has a buyout, right? No, I think it's three years of the buyout for the fourth. Oh, that's a bad contract. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, he might he might have a buyout. It's possible. I could be wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely, they're gonna do one more year of Hunter Pence. Who'll be thirty five, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Alice Burks out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a twelve million dollar mutual option for twenty nineteen is the first year that's not guaranteed and a $4 million buyout there. So, yes. The good news is that the Giants' outfield depth, in theory, will be coming around at some point next year. They, they should have one. If Slater doesn't... I think, first of all, it's really tough for any baseball fan. It's really tough for teams to throw out guys there and for them to stick. There's going to be a lot more of the John Bowker, Mac Williamson situations than than uh, Buster Posey, really, which is the best case scenario, right? <laughs> so you throw a guy out there and he's an all-star. You know, you're going to have a lot more Christian Arroyos and Matt Duffy's and 
And those can work out. And hopefully Austin Slater is that. But then with Reynolds and Quinn, you know, filling in those spots. I don't know. I, I guess the depth has really hurt the Giants, the lack of depth, rather. And if those are still the two guys who are your primary starters, you still are in a lot of trouble. But yeah, why wouldn't they be? Uh, next. If you threw it, well, hold on, Doug. If you th- if you strapped Denard Span to a desirable player, the Giants would give up. That would be one way of getting rid of him. But I don't think the Giants are creative enough to do that. I don't. I don't think they want to do that. I think that that reduces the value of something that has value. If you're expecting to be a bad team anyway, then you might as well just play out a bad player instead of reducing the value of a good player who you're trading away. Does that work in every case? I mean, because basically what the Braves did was they were like, you really want this guy. And so because you want him, we're willing to take just a little bit less for you to take the salary off our books, which is actually more valuable than the player, which I think the Giants exist in that nexus somewhere. Anyway, that's that can be a rhetorical question or an unanswered question. Carry on. <laughs> uh, so next question from Ryan Duca at Blazers Rule 88. What should be the booze slash liquor of choice for Giants fans at this point of the season? Well, this is the McCovey Chronicles uh, podcast. It has to be Bullet Bourbon. It's Bullet Bourbon. (laughs) Otherwise, we are all fired. (laughs) Uh, And then the last question from Juan Barajas at Yay Area 853. Should the Giants begin to tank, play the youngins, place fake injuries on stars? Yes. Yes, but I don't think they're having to place fake injuries on the stars. (laughs) I think... I think Span and Pence are just going to get hurt. And in the case of Span, if you DL him, who's going to play? I don't want to see any more Gorky Hernandez out there. And so, you know, there's there's that risk as well. Playing the youngsters, they're going to have to make a lot of 40-man moves they're not comfortable with. There is, at some point, a utility of, well, we can't call up all the youngsters. We don't want to start the clocks on all of them because then you just run into the same situation they're in now. But, you know, I don't know what that really means, call up the youngsters. I mean, would the Giants rather have one of their, like, Ty Block or someone struggling up here rather than down there? Maybe. That might be worth something exploring. But I think it's a lot harder to watch pitchers struggle in the major leagues than it is to watch hitters struggle, even though they're both excruciating to watch. But, you know, you have a Matt Cain up there or a Matt Moore up there or a Jeff Samarja when he's going poorly up there. And it's just the innings are long and you're seeing other teams hit the ball really hard and you're watching your bad outfielders chase down the balls and then kick them. And, you know, you're watching a lot of bad baseball. Whereas if you're watching bad hitters, you're just kind of, you know, it's just quiet. If there's one thing we can safely say about the Giants offense is that it is a quiet burp. (laughs) They're very soothing. Yeah. <laughs> they relieve some gas, and then you forget it happened. <laughs> uh, good questions this week. Uh, you can always ask us at McCroncast is the account. You can always ask them in the, in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, Doug, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter at MoonwalkMcFly. Brian, what are you, where are you on Twitter? At every six day, please help us up our follower counts. It's just so nice to see those numbers rise. Follower counts are all we have in this world. That's right. And of course, check out McCoveyChronicles.com. 
every day for excellent content. Next week, we will have Roger Munter, who handles handles the minor lines on the site, which he updates every day. We also have, um, oh, what's the name of the page that uh, that Kevin does? We have a lot of great minor league content oh, yeah, the on the page. Prospect Roundup. Prospect Roundup by Kevin Cunningham. Uh, and then, of course, Grant's writing great stuff. And this week, you can find stuff about the Giants draft picks. Uh, and in the next couple weeks, we'll have some more entertaining stuff. Grant's going to go on vacation, so it'll just be you know no holds barred, a bunch of random stuff up there. Well, Expo, Grant, etc. Finally, yeah. starting with that porn that people have been banned us for. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye.